listening to the John Barrett Leadership Podcast, where you'll hear great ideas, insight, and inspiration to level up your leadership ability. Hey, everyone. It's John Barrett, the John Barrett Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening again for another episode where we're going to help level you up so you don't level out in your influence and impact on others. We want to help your leadership ability. And today, we're going to be talking about chess versus checkers. Now, growing up, I loved to play checkers, right? Black and red and and just kind of the old school game where you've got the board and every piece kind of moves the same, diagonal, and you can jump and that. I can remember playing checkers growing up and thinking, wow, this is a really cool game. But then I always was eyeing this amazing chess board that my dad had. It was this marble, really great-looking chessboard. And when I was really little, I wasn't really allowed to mess with it because it was really expensive, really nice. But I always wanted to kind of learn. But it was really complicated. It was really hard. And I can never get it. And finally, I, I graduated from checkers to chess. I finally got to a point where I said, Dad, teach me chess. And somehow I just wrapped my mind around it. And then we started playing and had a great time doing that growing up, playing chess with my dad. And he would always beat me. And, you know, he was teaching me, I think, you know, how to, how to fail gracefully. And, and I'll never forget the day that I finally won. Checkmate on my dad. I think it wasn't until I was about a teenager that that even happened. And and I, I don't know the real story. If I if I go back and probably talk to my dad, he he probably just let me win that first time just to give me some confidence to get a win under my belt. But but I remember winning and I remember the feeling of so great and that. But I loved playing chess. And then you know my oldest daughter and I we actually played chess. Uh, our, our my father in law. Uh, built her a really nice chess board, and we've got some great pieces to it, and we love to play. We have a really good time, and I'll tell you what, she does beat me sometimes. I am humble enough to admit it that um, she's beaten me a handful of times. I won't tell you how many, but uh, she's beaten me a handful of times, but we love playing. We have a good time doing it, but I love chess, and and, and if you know anything about checkers and chess, you know that there's a, a massive difference. Now, it's very similar in the sense that there's a board with squares and, you know, you kind of kind of the same concept. You, you, you want to win and, and, and take all the other pieces. But in checkers, every piece moves the same. There's not a lot to it. You just kind of treat everybody the same and every piece the same. Don't have to think about it. In chess, it's very different. Every piece moves very differently, and they're unique, and you have to know what they're capable of and what, they're, what they can do. And Some of them can go really far down the board. Some of them don't go as far, but they're still valuable in what they do and how you can utilize them to your advantage to win. And I think that leadership is like chess, not checkers. Great leadership are great chess players. That's what a great leader is meaning that they treat everybody different on the team. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that they're inconsistent in that, but what I mean is is that they they lean into every unique person's wiring and they're able to get the best out of them and mobilize them and utilize them in the greatest capacity because they know that everybody is wired differently. But you know what? Average leaders and even bad leaders, they play checkers when it comes to leadership. Here's what I mean by that. They treat everybody the same. They say, well, this is how I lead, and this is what I do, and this is how I lead everyone. Listen, can I tell you, if you're not leading people on your team differently than the other person, you're probably not doing it right. Now, here's the deal. The message stays the same, but the methods always change depending on who you're dealing with. So the principles and, and, and your expectations, those are all going to stay the same. The message is true. 
the, 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 what you need from them as a leader is, is, stays the same. It's constant. However, the method in which you deliver that and you connect with people and you work with them should look very different like in chess. Listen, the sign of a really mature leader asks this question, how do you need to be led best? That, that's, that's the sign of a mature leader. Can I tell you the sign of an immature leader is when they say statements like this. Well, this is how I lead. Just deal with it right? That's an immature leader. That's a leader that's playing checkers, that doesn't understand you you don't lead everyone the same. And you certainly don't lead everyone just the way that you see fit because you are going to be blindsided. You are going to be one-sided in what you do. So you've got to understand that a mature leader says, how do you need to be led best? They ask that question and they lean into that and they treat everyone like chess rather than checkers. They treat everybody different. So if you're leading everyone the same, something is wrong. The message doesn't change, but the method does. The chess master Paul Morphy, I, I love it. He was a famous chess player. He said this, help your pieces so they can help you. And he was a master chess player, but he understood that if you help your pieces, they'll help you because what they're capable and what they're able to do. And I think that's a great leadership uh, kind of statement motto that we should go by. When you help your pieces, they're going to help you. When you help them get to their very uh, maximum potential, then you're able to lean into that and know how they're wired and what they can do, what they can't do, how to lead them, how to, how to, how to drive them. When you do that, they are going to give back to the team, to the organization, to you. Listen, the, the great leaders always understand how to play chess. Great leaders know how to put people and put others in their place. And no, that's not what you think it is. I don't mean put them in their place in the sense of, you know, saying, hey, this is what you should do and this is where you're going to go. I don't mean that. I mean that they know how to get other people in the right place. They know how to get them in the right place. So great leaders know how to put others in their place. See, when others are not in the right place, it is painful. I mean, think about this. When you don't get it right, I mean, if you don't have the right people in place, it's impossible to get the best from them. And it's painfully obvious when the wrong person is set in the wrong place. We know this. I came across these humorous employee performance reviews that illustrate this brutal truth when someone's not cutting it, okay? Uh, See if you identify with some of these uh, um, performance reviews, some, some funny ones, all right? Since my last report, he has reached rock bottom and has started to dig, right? We've all known people like that. How about this one? Works well. When under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap, right? Okay, how about this? When he opens his mouth, it seems that this is only to change whichever foot was previously in there. Here's another one. He would be out of his depth in a parking lot puddle. Ouch. Ooh, that's a hard one. All right. She sets low personal standards, then consistently fails to achieve them, right? We've all been around people like this. This employee should go far, and the sooner he starts, the better, right? Gates are down, lights are flashing, but the train just isn't coming, all right? Wheel is turning, but the hamsters are all dead. Wow, that's a hard one right there. Here's a few more for you. These are fun. Takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes. Oh, wow. All right. Got a full six-pack, but lacks the plastic thingy to hold it all together, right? Like that. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Keep going. A photographic memory, but with the lens cover glued on. Oh, all right. Here we go. Some drink from the fountain of knowledge, but he only gargles. Oh, all right. Last one here, right here. If you give him a penny for his thoughts, you'd get change. 
Oh, wow. We've all been around people like this where it's like, what is going on? When you get the, 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 a person in the wrong place and you're not utilizing them to their fullest potential, it is painful, just like some of those reviews that are painful to hear. But when you get others in the right place and you know how to lead them and you treat them like a, a chess piece, listen, it's amazing. When you get it right, there's retention. People stick around. They feel a part of the team. They want to contribute, and they feel like that they're, what they're doing is making a difference. When you get it right, there's growth in the organization. Growth just begins to happen because people are in the right place, and their strengths and their skills are being utilized to the fullest potential. Listen, there is happiness and joy around everywhere, right? It's a good organization to come to. Listen, when you get people in the wrong place and you're not leading them the right way, it is, it is hard. It's a hard environment where, where there's a lot of just uh, tension and there's just a lot of, of feeling of unhappiness. So we've got to get it right. It's like being a conductor. You've got to be a great conductor that knows how to get the best from their players and they know when to call on them and put them on the spot and they know how to lead them effectively. So here's some thoughts for you. How to be a master chess player. How do we do this? I want to give you three thoughts that I think if you'll lean into these three things, that if you'll really begin to think about this and work on this and be intentional about this, you are going to be a master chess player. You're going to be able to start working with your team at a much higher level. And instead of playing checkers with them, you're going to be able to play chess with them. So three thoughts that you've got to get. Three things that you have to know if you're going to be a master chess player as a leader. Number one is this. Know your team's personality. Now, here's why. Here, here, here's what it is. This helps you connect with them. When you know your team's personality, it helps you to be able to connect with them. Listen, you've got to know what the personality is of the person you're dealing with. And I would encourage you to dig deep into this, dive into this, get tools that are going to help you. Listen, psychometric tools out there that help us define someone's personality, it gives us great insight into how a person is uniquely wired. Listen, you've got to understand, and there are some great tools out there. I've used DISC, D-I-S-C, for many, many years uh, where, where I help people go through that. In fact, in the, in the notes here, if you go to johnbarrettleadership.com and go to this episode, you'll see a link there where you can find uh, the, the, the um, assessment where you can take a DISC profile. It's real cheap. It's, it's nothing major, and you're going to be able to get a great reading on their personality. There's another tool that I, I've just recently um, been certified in that I'm beginning to use called MPO, Managing Performance and Organizations. MPO is an unbelievable tool, unbelievable tool. And, and I'll put a link on there as well in, in the, um, the description here on, on, the, on the show and in the notes of that, if you'll go to johnbarrettleadership.com, where you can look at these. But it's a phenomenal tool. But you've got to get some tools to help you know their personality. Listen, you've got to speak their language. If you were to go into another foreign country and, and, and they didn't speak your native language, you wouldn't go in there expecting everybody just to speak your language. No, it would be your responsibility to learn the language of the natives there or at least learn some words so that you can communicate with them. If you're going to be effective, if you're going to know how to navigate and get around, you've got to spend some time learning how to speak their language, not just your language. So when it comes to leadership, it's the same way. If you only speak your own native language, but you're not leaning in to the language personality of another person, 
and you're not learning at least how to communicate with them a little bit better. I'm not saying that you have to become somebody else and, 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 and match their personality. Of course not. Be who you are. But in your best self, you've got to lean in and begin to say, well, how do I learn how to know where this person's coming from? Instead of putting people in their place, how about I put myself in their place? How about I, I you know, kind of say, listen, how can I see it from your perspective based on your personality? Listen, our family uses this. In fact, we, we've been big disc users uh, over the years. My family, my kids, my wife and I. And we've had them all take an assessment, and we we actually use that. I mean, we say, hey, that was a really, you know, high eye thing for you to do, Dad, right? I mean, my kids would probably say that. I would say, hey, your C is coming out a lot right now, right? I mean, we, we use this terminology with DISC, D-I-S-C, because it helps us understand where other people are coming from in our family. In your team, are you utilizing tools to know their personality? Everyone moves differently. Everyone is wired very, very differently. And if you want to connect with your team, and listen, you'll never lead people to their fullest potential and get the best from them if you don't connect with them. It's not just about communicating. It's about connecting. In fact, my mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell, wrote wrote a book years ago called Everyone Communicates But Few Connect, right? Communication is not just about communicating. It's about connecting with somebody else. So when you know their personality, it's going to help break down some walls so that you know how to utilize them and how to connect with them. And when you're able to connect with them and know where they're coming from, it's going to help resource you and equip you so that you can be a better leader where you know how to change your method in order of what they need, how to communicate with them, how to talk with them, how to, how to be able to kind of get in there and kind of do surgery within them when you're talking about accountability and giving them feedback and all the things we talk about on this podcast. Knowing their personality is going to help you tremendously. So get a tool to do that, whether it's DISC, whether it's MPO, which is a phenomenal tool. There's Enneagram, there's all kinds of other ones out there, but find something that's going to help you to be able to connect with your team. Second thing that you've got to know is this, know your team's strengths. So you've got to know what their strengths are. Now, this is what it does. This helps you place them. So if you want to get them in the right place, then you've got to know where their strengths are. And you need to spend time knowing exactly what the strengths are on your team. What are the individual's strengths that make up your team? What are they? Now, you've got to do that. Listen, don't spend time trying to improve their weaknesses. Rather, invest time on building their strengths. Listen, if you spend all their time, I, I see leaders do this all the time. They say, you know what? Uh, you're just, you're, you're not really good at the details here or you're, you're not really good at, at, at following through on that. So what I want you to do is I'm just going to spend all my time trying to train you to go do this thing that you're not even really great at. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to challenge people and get them to improve some of their weaknesses. But listen, if somebody is a three on the scale of strengths on, on, on some, you know, thing that they do, some skill, listen, with them, if you invest everything you've got, you might take them from a three to maybe a five, maybe a six, if you gave it every ounce of time and energy and investment you've got. Is six good? No. You don't want people operating at a, at a six when that's at their maximum potential. No, 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 no. Don't spend time trying to improve everyone's weaknesses. Instead, build and improve their strengths. Take what they're already great at and make them experts and master people in that. So if they're a, a, a seven already on a natural strength of communicating, 
Listen, don't ignore that and say, well, they're not really good at this other skill over here. They're a three, so I'm going to get them from a three, and I'm going to get them high. No, 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 no. Take their, their seven in communication and get them to a nine or a ten. See, if you'll, you, you'll only move people up about maybe one, two at best. If you've given everything you've got, you might move them three notches up that scale on one to ten. At best, maybe three notches. Nobody's really able to probably just about go beyond that. So, again, if they're a three or a four on a weakness, at best you might get them to a six or a seven. But if they're already a five or a six or a seven in, the, in a strength zone, spend your time there developing that and get them to a eight, nine, ten, where they are rock stars in that one area. Listen, Babe Ruth, the, the, the famous baseball player, the Bambino slugger, Babe Ruth, the same year that Babe Ruth, that he hit the record for most home runs, that same exact year, most people, they, they know all about that. They're like, oh yeah, the Bambino slugger, the guy who holds the record for the most home runs in one season. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. Well, did you know that the same year, exact same year that he broke the record for most home runs, he also broke the record for most strikeouts of any other player in the league. Wow. Think about that. Now, do we remember Babe Ruth for his strikeouts? No, we remember him for his strengths, his home runs, because he just swung for the fence. But when he missed, he missed. It was bad. But when he hit it, he hit it hard and good. You see, and, and, and his coaches and everyone around him said, listen, babe, swing for the fence. I mean, focus on your strengths. Don't be worried about your weaknesses and striking out. Do what you do best. And that's when you make contact with the ball, you send that thing soaring. So listen, Focus on people's strengths and home runs, not their strikeouts. Don't do that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't challenge them and hold them accountable and push them a little bit. Again, if you can, you know, drive them a little bit better to get mindful of it, I understand that. But focus on their strengths. Know what their strengths are. Listen, Jim Collins talked about this, that you got to get the right people on the right bus and the right seed. And, and, you know, and there's all these combination of things that have to get aligned. So you've got to focus on strengths. Get people in their strength zone, not their weak zone. When you allow your team to operate in their strength zone and you just let them loose in their strengths, they will do incredible things. They are going to be at their maximum potential. Did you know that according to Gallup and a lot of the reports out there in the employee market and what's going on in the workforce, that the majority of people, the majority, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's over 50%, way over that, do not feel like that their organization is utilizing their strengths to the fullest potential. In fact, I wouldn't say at one point it was around 65 or 75%, somewhere in there, of people in the workforce do not think that their organization is utilizing them to their fullest potential in their strength zone. Wow. Listen, that means that on your team, you can almost uh, assume that half, if you're leading 10 people, that five, six, maybe even seven people on your team do not feel like you are tapping in to their fullest strengths and potential of what they can offer the organization. So you need to sit down and find out what are the strengths on your team. All right, number three is this, know your team's motivations, all right? So know your team's motivations. Here's what this does. This helps you drive them. This helps you drive them so that they're ready to go and they're making a difference. Now, listen, this is huge. Motivation is massive. And I hear leaders sometimes say, listen, I, I don't want to have to motivate my team. They should be motivated. And I get that. Listen, if you want to solve that problem, hire motivated people. 
right? Don't hire unmotivated people. But even if you hire motivated people, we all need to be motivated. We all need people and cheerleaders and coaches in our corner that are pushing us and driving us on and cheering us on and challenging us to, to go further. So you've got to know your team's motivations if you're going to help drive them and get the best. Now, here's just three quick thoughts about knowing your team's motivations. Three things that you've got to know. A is this. Everyone is motivated by something. Listen, everyone is motivated by something. I see people come to me all the time. They say, John, I just don't have a motivated person on my team. I don't know what their problem is. I think, well, okay. But here's the deal. I don't know if I believe that this. You know, they're not motivated. Everybody's motivated by something. They just haven't found it yet, what it is. So listen, everyone is motivated by something, but the larger the gap is between someone's passion and their work, the less productive they're going to be. I love what Leonardo da Vinci said this, where the spirit does not work with the hand, there is no art. I like that, right? So listen, be, find out what their motivations are so that you can lean into that so that they can be motivated in what they do. Everyone is motivated by something. You just have to help them discover it or maybe get them in the right place. Now, B, here's another thought. Everyone is motivated differently. Just like in in chess, everyone moves a little different. So everyone's motivated by something, but that something is very different for everyone else. Listen, um, um, Tamara Lowe years ago wrote a book called The um, Motivational DNA. It's an unbelievable book, Motivational DNA, written years ago. But she broke down this whole DNA, what this represents. And, and, and I love this. I think this is so, so fascinating. But basically, your motivational DNA, you've got to find out what is your team's mo- motivational DNA. What does DNA stand for? D is this, their drives. What drives them? Is it connection or production? Most people are driven by one of those two things, either connection or production, meaning that they're more people-oriented, so they want to connect and they want to be around others and and that, and they're more uh, driven by people or they're more driven by production tasks. Get things done, make things happen, cross the finish line, get this project done, get this to completion. You've got to know that about them because if someone is driven by connection and people and you are just loading them up with task after task when they're by themselves, You might frustrate them and vice versa. If someone is driven by production, but you are just kind of surrounding them with teams where it's slow and there's consensus and everybody's brainstorming, but this person just wants to drive and get things done, then you might be frustrating them. So what are their drives in this motivational DNA? The N for DNA stands for needs. Is it, and and here's one of two things that they'll, they'll be, their needs are stability or variety. Which one? So either they're going to be very stable, they want the same thing, they want consistency, they want to work, kind of know what to expect and know what the rules are, know what the um, process is and that stability or variety. And there's some people like me that are driven towards variety. We like to have our hand in a lot of different cookie jars. In fact, we get really bored if we're just doing the same thing again every day over and over and over and we know what to expect. We need that variety, that change all the time to keep us on our toes. Now, you need to know that about your team. Are they driven by variety or stability? So if you're placing them in environments where you're asking them to be a rook and, and they move more like a pawn and, and, and you're asking them to do this or a knight and a bishop, if, if you know chess pieces, and, and you're asking them to do something else, they're not going to be able to do it. So the A in DNA. So D is drives. Uh, N is needs for motivational DNA. The A is awards. Everyone needs awards. Now, the question is, are they more internal or external. 
And what I mean by that is internal rewards are more driven by purpose and desire and knowing that they're making a difference and kind of that heartfelt humanitarian need. Or is it more external? And there's not a right or wrong here, but are they more driven by accolades and knowing that they crossed the finish line and compensation? And are they driven by a knowing that they're going to get something, a, a prize at the end of this and that? And listen, none is, neither is right or wrong. It's just the way that we're wired. Some of us are driven more internal, and, and that's what the awards are most important, some external. Right? It's kind of like the love languages, if you're familiar with that, uh, the whole idea of knowing what each other's love languages are so that you can kind of speak that. Listen, some people need that recognition, and they need kind of those awards, and they need that external motivation. Some, it's more internal. right? They just need that affirmation, and they just need someone to kind of know that, that they believe in them and that they're behind them. So what is your motivational DNA? What is your team's? What are their drives? What are their needs? What kind of awards do you need to give them? When you start thinking about that and knowing that everybody's motivated differently, it's going to help you drive them. It's going to help you begin to help them go further down the chessboard so that they can win, so that you can score, so that you can do what needs to be done. All right, C, last thought on this uh, whole idea of uh, know your team's motivation is this. C, everyone needs to be motivated continually, right? I mean, everybody needs it all the time. Listen, motivation is a well that runs dry very quickly, if not replenished often. I can tell you that. We all need a refresher of that, right? Zig Ziglar, uh, the famous motivational speaker, one of my favorite um, um, speakers of all time, Zig Ziglar said this, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily right? I mean, you know, it, it's like taking a, a shower. I mean, you know, you don't take a shower at the beginning of the week and say, I think I'm good for the month, right? Or at least I hope you don't, you know, but uh, you know, you don't do that. I mean, you know, as you go about and live life, I mean, that tank kind of runs dry. You're going to get a little bit dirty and, and you got to go back and you want to refresh and get cleaned off and do all that. Motivation operates from the same types of principles that bathing does, that, that eating does and all that. You got to keep doing it. You can't just expect the one-time thing and to be done. So listen, as a leader, are you continually motivating your team? This isn't a beginning of the year, you know, January vision kickoff, rah, rah, rah. Let's go get them, everybody. And then you disappear as a leader for the rest of the year. No, no, you got to be motivating them at all times. Say it, spray it, wheel it, deal it, and seal it. You've got to constantly be talking about the vision, why you're doing what you're doing, what you're going after, what's at stake, why is this urgent, how are we making a difference, what are the wins that we're experiencing, and, and we're, we're crossing home plate and say, yes, we did it, guys, good job, keep going, we're almost there. How are you doing that as a leader? And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of leaders that are so busy, they are dropping their head because they are inundated with tasks, with problems, with issues, with all kinds of things. And I get it. I understand. Listen, I'm helping, you know, tons of leaders. I mean, I, I've got about, you know, 60 plus clients that I coach one on one that I work with to help them unpack and unravel all of this. So I get it. I get it. You're running ragged. But listen, as a leader, if you don't take time to motivate and connect and check in with your team and, and, and be that cheerleader for them, I'm telling you, even your most motivated players eventually are going to lose steam and they're going to jump ship and they're going to get out of the game. And they'll go find a place that does that because we all need motivated daily. 
We want to be around motivating environments. Is your organization, is your team a motivating team? Or are you just getting things done? Are you just making it happen? Are you just grinding it out every day and solving another problem every day? But you don't take time to celebrate. You don't take time to motivate. You don't take time to inspire your team. I'm telling you that eventually is going to wear and you're going to find people jump ship and get off the team because they can't do it anymore. Because everyone needs motivated at all times. Think about this. You might be serving a leader that's above you. Maybe it's a boss or someone that you answer to and that, and you would think, man, I just wish that they spent more time with me. I just wish that they, they were more focused on this whole idea of you know, meeting those needs of, of what we need to drive forward. Listen, when you look at your team, don't be that same exact kind of leader. Don't do the very thing that it is that you, uh, that's being done to you that you don't like, right? So think about that. If you were leading you, would you be happy with yourself? If you were on your team and you were the leader of your team and you answered to you, would you say, ooh, my leader is inspiring and motivating? So ask your question, ask that question to yourself. So three things if you're going to be a great chess player. Know your team's personality. Know your team's strengths. Know your team's motivations. When you begin to do that, I am telling you, you are going to be a master chess player. You are going to get the best out of your team. You're going to help them succeed, and you are going to move forward in what you do. And you are going to be a phenomenal leader that's reaching your potential. So I just encourage you today, be a chess player, not a checkers player. Don't treat every piece the same, but treat everyone a little bit different. The message doesn't change, but the method should change based on every different person that you lead because of their personality, their strengths, and their motivations. I hope this was helpful, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next month here on the podcast to help level you up so you don't level out. Thanks for listening to the John Barrett Leadership Podcast. To get more of John's resources, visit www.johnbarrettleadership.com. Thank you.